This morning, I want to talk about life over and under the sun. Recently, we've been talking about spending time with God and what that looks like. Before I share, I'm going to have Jessica Elmer come up and, and share what her time with God means to her. I do quiet times early in the morning. That's just what works best for our family schedule. And as I was preparing for today, like I, I knew that something was different. And um, I woke up to my alarm, but I didn't really hear my alarm. What I was hearing was the song, what can I do for you? What can I bring to you? What kind of song would you like me to sing? I'll dance a dance for you. Pour out my love for you. What can I do for you, beautiful king? And so I, I want to share that this morning because that's not a frequent thing that I have just where I wake up to a different song than, than that. But that does pretty much surmise what my quiet time really is. God is not my personal genie in a bottle where I go to the kitchen, sit down with my coffee, and then give him my, my to-do list for the day. That is, that is not my relationship with him. And in this last year, I would say that he has uh, been teaching me a lot about identity. And in, in a store recently, um, I saw a sign, and it says, the world needs who you were created to be. And I would say that is very much where my heart is, is, is God, you didn't make any mistakes. You created me for a purpose, and it's my job every morning to meet with God and find out a little bit more of what that purpose is. And it's just so easy to get hung up on, on just the cliche idea of what, you know, God's made everybody, you know, he counts your hairs. But to really know it, to really know that he has a purpose for each of us, once you get there, it just changes so much stuff, just being a wife and a mom and, and doing the same thing so repetitively. It changes. It makes it not not repetitive. Um, it gives each day such a purpose. And a other couple other things that have um, meant a lot to me is there's a, a prayer of St. Anselm of Canterbury, and um, this is something that is not in the Bible, but it, it, it speaks a lot to me, and it says, Oh, my God, teach my heart where and how to seek you, where and how to find you. You are my God, and you are my all, and I have never seen you. You have made me and remade me. You have bestowed on me all the good things I possess. Still, I do not know you. I have not yet done that for which I was made. Teach me to seek you. I cannot seek you unless you teach me or find you unless you show yourself to me. Let me seek you in my desire. Let me desire you in my seeking. Let me find you by loving you. Let me love you when I find you. Amen. And then I just, I sit and I read my Bible and I pray. And I know that I need to hear God. Um, that's the whole point of having a quiet time. I need to hear from him. I need to have that relationship. This verse from Jeremiah fifteen sixteen: When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. Um, just sit there and and just wait in the morning to hear from God what he's telling me, what, what he's speaking as he's telling me my identity and, and what he has planned for me. Um, I need that. And Thank you, Jessica. In Psalms 119, 130 through 131, it says this. It says, the unfolding of your word gives light. 
It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. David saying the unfolding of your words in a prayer to God, the unfolding of your words gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. The unfolding of his word gives light. Having a Bible, if we don't open it, doesn't do anything for us. Uh, having a Bible that we open, if our heart's not open to the word, does nothing for us. But if, if we are open, if the Bible is open, then it's going to give light. David said he panted for revelation from God, for a command from him, for direction. He longed for the will of God, and that's, that's our prayer too. So let's pray. God, I thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for that your word brings light, it brings life, it brings truth. You are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. And we say this morning our hearts are open to you and to your word. Pray you'd speak to our hearts that your word would transform us. Thank you and praise you. I pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. So Solomon was a man, when it came to life under the sun, life here on earth, he was the closest thing to saying he had it all. God blessed him with wisdom. He was the wisest man on the face of the earth. People came to hear his wisdom. Power, he was the most powerful man. Riches. It said in the time where he was king that silver was like as common as a small, like a penny in our day. He brought that much riches himself and to to Israel. Women, he had a lot of women, 700 wives and 300 concubines. Popularity, people came from all over the world to hear Solomon's wisdom. If he was today, we'd call him an influencer. He had a spiritual heritage. His father, David, was a man after God's own heart, one of the godliest men to ever live. And he had a spiritual history. God spoke to him distinctly at least twice in his life. When I say distinctly, I mean he spoke so clearly that there was no doubt that it was God. He had all of that. Then at the end of his life, he wrote Ecclesiastes about life under the sun. And, and I had Liberty put together some inspirational posters from Ecclesiastes. Because there's, there's a lot of inspirational posters from other books of the Bible, but there's not from Ecclesiastes. So I want to hear about Solomon, the guy who had it all. What was his view of life under the sun? Everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. What does man gain by all his hard work under the sun? The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes blowing in circles. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and it is all meaningless, like chasing after the wind. Are you guys encouraged yet? There's, there's more coming, a lot more. As I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was also meaningless. 
like chasing the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I came to hate all my hard work here under the sun. My uh, junior high kids would agree with that. Came to hate all my hard work here under the sun, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toils of my labors under the sun. What has a man from all the toils and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So he's talking about the meaningless of his life under the sun, and then he goes into, and not just that, but where there's supposed to be justice, there's wickedness. And where there's supposed to be righteousness, there's wickedness. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of the oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. Some of you are like, can we have Pastor Mitch back? <laughs> I observed another example of something meaningless under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, Yet there is no end to all of his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? It is all so meaningless and depressing. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so he lacks nothing of all he desires. Yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is grievous evil. For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun. When man had the power over man to his hurt. In my search for wisdom, in my observation of people's burdens here on earth, I discovered that there is ceaseless activity day and night. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. It seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. 
Already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. This one I like. It should be shared at weddings, given his wedding plaque. Enjoy life with the wife you love all the days of your meaningless life that he has given you under the sun. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor to the battle to the strong. I've seen that on on refrigerator magnets, but they don't finish the verse. Nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. They're saying, like, no matter what you do, things still happen. So in the midst of all of this, he says these two verses. It says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. And again he says, And I commend joy, for man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So he's, he basically is just saying, your li- life is meaningless under the sun, but be joyful. If everything's meaningless under the sun, then how do we find joy? Michael A. Eaton, in his commentary on Ecclesiastes, says this, If our view of life goes no further than under the sun, all our endeavors will have an undertone of misery. Dr. Larry Crabb says this, It is one thing to believe in God as a supporting actor in the drama of our story, a story that begins at our birth and ends at our death. It is quite another to know ourselves to be small but significant actors in the eternal drama of God's story, a story that begins in eternity past, stretches out from Genesis 1-1 through Revelations 22-21, and continues as a dance of love into eternity future. Ephesians 2-4-6 says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We do not invite Jesus into our story. He invites us into his If the whole of our Christian life is trying to bring God down into our story, we will live a miserable, meaningless life. We will be seeking God to change our circumstances, thinking that it will bring us joy. And we'll seeking to help others in our own strength to make their life better under the sun. I've seen this with parents who nurture and protect their children on their way to hell. Because they don't want their kids to suffer. Parents who don't want their children to miss out on anything of the good things under the sun. So they, they wear themselves out making sure their kid is in, in every sport, has every new uh, toy, has every new clothes, has the newest iPhone, has this. Because they don't want them to miss out. I've seen it in single men and women who long to be married because they think that they would be fulfilled. I see it in the spouse who longs for their spouse to finally make them feel loved. 
the person who fills their lives helping, helping other people, but really trying to become significant. And to, to all of us in the midst of that, God says, you don't have to chase fulfillment all your life under the sun. I have come to bring you up. I have seated you in heavenly places. You don't need that new car to make you happy. You don't need a perfect marriage to make you happy. You don't need perfect health to make you happy. You don't need your political party to win to make you happy. Your kids don't need a lack of suffering to make them happy. These things won't make you happy. For a moment, they will. You'll have a high, but it doesn't stay there. It's a temporary high. God says, I have called you higher. I have seated you with me above your circumstances. I've called you to a life over the sun. So if we're seated in heavenly places, then why do we as Christians still battle with living our lives under the sun focusing on the things below. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 gives some of that answer. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And set your mind, what that phrase means, actually means to exercise your mind. And we are actually all exercising our mind day by day, by what we consume, what we look at, what we let ourselves think about, we are forming our mind into something. What you watch, what you spend time consuming. I've been in youth ministry for 25 years, and I want to tell you something about this right here. I have seen when a youth gets one of these, 90% of the time, within two months, they're dealing with depression. Like, and this, I'm being totally honest. And it's, it's because what happens with these, it's a tether to this world. I'm not saying everyone go out and we're not going to burn our phones. But I am saying that if we live our life for this, and if we consume this more than we consume the word of God, then we are going to live depressed, meaningless lives. I've talked with adults, and they've gone, man, I just feel depressed. I don't know why. And a lot of times they'll even have their phones out with them while they're talking to me. And I'll say, how much time do you spend on this? Well, just... Just five hours a day. And I was like, how about you take three of those hours and stop scrolling on Instagram, stop talking to your friends on Snapchat, and get in the Word, put on worship music. You can even use this to listen to a podcast that calls you higher. So what we consume that's what forms us. A lot of times we will we'll wake up in the morning, we'll give our God our 15 minutes of reading the Bible, and then right after that we'll go on here. 
and, and look at what, what our friends are saying, what this is going, what's going on with this. And what happens is the word of God that's trying to get into us, it can't form us because our minds are being formed by something else. So it's not just what we consume, it's what we think on. If we think of the things of the world, like uh, if you're a man, and women too, but specifically us as men, we start thinking about how we want to provide for our families, for the future and different things. It can lead at least me to this place of depression. Because it's like, well, I need to do this, I need to do that. Do I have a 401k? What's my five-year plan? What's this? What's that? And, and that's not wrong to th- if, if we think about that sum. But if that becomes what we meditate on, then that is going to lead us to a life under the sun. Another way we form our mind and conform our minds to meditate on the things of the earth is prayer. And I say, prayer? That's what sends us higher. When I was younger, I did not want to pray. I did not want to be an intercessor because the intercessors in my church were all depressed. Like, they were the most depressed people. They were like, all these horrible things are happening in the world, and I just, I've got to stay up all night praying to God about the horrible things that are happening. When we pray, some of our prayers are meditations and pleas on our desire for life under the sun. That's why many intercessors are depressed. It's begging God to bless our plans. It's praying that God enters the story of the ones we love versus praying that they enter his. There's a counterfeit of Christianity we can fall for where we say we are following God, but really we are living our own story and trying to fit God in the cracks, wondering why we feel so empty after serving God for so many years. What if we looked at each situation that comes in our lives as an invitation to join his story? That child that will not behave no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to help them. God, how are you inviting me into your story with this? Health issues that do not seem to go away no matter what we do. God, how are you inviting me into this story, your story with this? Relational conflict that makes us uncomfortable. God, how, how are you inviting me into your story with this? But how do we set our minds on the things that are above? not below the sun. How do we do that? Romans 8.5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So we must get out of the flesh, the part of us that is focused on the things of this earth, and into our spirit, which is the part of us that is focused on God's plan and, and takes us higher but how do we do that? How do we know what is flesh and what is spirit? Because I don't know about you guys, but my flesh is tricky and I am stupid. <laughs> like there's times that I, I feel like I'm doing spiritual things, like I'm really loving my wife. Like I'm going I'm to serve her. I'm going to clean the house, do all this stuff that like uh, above and beyond what I normally do. She comes home, doesn't recognize it. I'm like, you are not encouraging enough. I wasn't loving her. 
I was trying to gain her love. Like, how do we, how do we know the difference between when we're really walking out the story of God versus when we're walking and living our life under the sun? I think Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 has the answer for that. It says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes to whom we must give account. So it says, God's word is alive. When I was in school, I did not read. When I was younger, I did not read. And I, my mom's here, and she does not know this. But uh, I, when I did book reports for school, I would read the first five pages, and I would read the last five pages. I'm disappointing my mom in front of all of you. But I would read the first five pages, the last five pages, and I'd write the book report, and i always get good grades on my book reports. I did not like reading. I did not like reading the Bible until I realized something that is actually alive. The amazing thing about the Bible is it, it is actually alive. And what, what I mean by that is there's, there's two Greek words for word. There's logos, that's the written word. And then there's rhema, that's the word that is being spoken right in that moment. The Bible is both logos and rhema. It, it was written... God inspired people to write it, but when God inspired people to write it, he knew when you would be reading it, and he, and he put things in there, and that word is alive, and God's words bring life. And so when we read it, there's something for us each time, if we will take the time and listen. So God's word is alive, and it says it's active, and actually that, that word means effectively working means that it's like it's, it's working hard. My daughter Zoe can mess up her room amazingly in like five to ten minutes. We can do a deep clean of her room and leave her in there for five to ten minutes. And, and it looks like a tornado hit. Like we could send pictures and people would be like, what happened? She is very effective at messing up her room. I'm very effective at messing up my life. But God's word is very effective in bringing life to my life, in, in bringing order to my life. But I've got to let it do its work. If I read my five minutes and then I go on and focus on other things, I'm not letting his word do his work. God's word points us higher. God's word separates our flesh, the part of us that focus on the things below, and our spirit, the part of us that draws us heavenly to God's story. The Bible is not a normal book. You don't read the Bible. You let the Bible read you. Let it lay you bare. It says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than two-edged sword. And it says... No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes to whom they give account. When you read the Bible, 
it will make you, if you're reading it right, you will, you will feel naked. I feel uncomfortable when someone comes in when I'm spending time with God. Because there's, there's that amount of intimacy where he is, he is going to the marrow in my life. He's splitting flesh from spirit. The goal of the Bible is to take us from our meaningless lives to being a part of God's story. And that takes time, that takes intimacy, and that takes humility. Psalm 1-2 talks about meditating on his word day and night. And that word meditate actually means to chew on cud. It's what cows chew on the cud and get the nutrients out and uh, some animals, they digest it, they spit it back up, chew on it, and, uh, and that's, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about chewing on the cud. So we need to read his word, but then chew on the cud of his word throughout the day, as opposed to chewing on Snapchat or Instagram or Hulu or Netflix. Every time you open the word of God, there's an invitation to join his story. Will you take it? And I'm, I am not saying, as I talk about this, I am not saying that this is completely evil. I actually read the Bible on this. I have a Bible app that I can look up the Greek words and different things. I have an Instagram account. And we have Hulu. <laughs> what, what I'm saying is, in those things, don't let them distract you from the real thing. I don't want to just go like, hey, here, boom, here's this, without giving a simple layout of how you can do this. Because I know there's people here that have read the Bible five times more than I have. But I know there's others that you maybe have never read the Bible for yourself. You've maybe never opened up the book and just read it. So I want to I give a simple thing of how how I do it, how my family does it. This, this, it's a thing called the Discovery Bible Method and just a simple way that gets you to stop and think about the Word of God and, and to ask questions of it and to, to have it transform your life. So for me, I read the Bible in the morning because I want to be thinking about it throughout the day. And then I actually, I don't other than answering texts, I don't go on social media, I don't go on the internet, I don't do anything in the morning anymore. I just, because I want, I want to set the word of God in me throughout the day. And then my family, we read the Bible together at night. We go through the Bible and, and we read and, and I use basically the same layout with myself and with my family. So you can take what you want from it, but this is how we do it. The first thing is you read the passage. Like, wow, that's really deep. I go, thank you, Pastor Josh. Uh, how do you read the Bible? You read it. It's deep. You're a genius. Thank you. So you read the passage, and then what I do is I repeat it in my own words, or I have my kids repeat it in their own words. And why do I do this? This isn't a this isn't a biblical thing, but I do it because of our mind. We're exercising our mind. Because when you take a truth and you put it into your own words, that truth becomes cemented in you. You have to digest it. You have to chew it and to be able to explain it in your own way. 
So I read the passage, I repeat it in my own words, and then I ask these questions. What does this passage show me about God? God, what are you showing me about yourself through this passage? So I read, repeat, God, then what does it show me about people? What are you showing me about people and about myself in this passage? Then, how does this passage apply to my life? What is God speaking to me about? And then I end with these two. How am I going to apply this to my life? What my family does is we do an I will statement that we do, we do all together that day. We're reading through Lamentations now. We're going through the Bible. It's another encouraging book. Book literally means to be sad. A recent one that we did, the I will, was I will share my feelings with the Lord. And, and so we check the next day when we get together as a family. Hey, did you, did you do that today? Or did you hold in your feelings? Or did you? And we talk about it. We see how we applied it. And then the final question I ask is, who can I share this with? Who, who needs this today? Uh, because we're all called to make disciples. And until we let the word of God get into us, we have nothing to give to other people. Because what we consume, that's what we give out. The Bible talks about, Paul talks about, in Hebrews, about, about milk. And he's talking to them and kind of rebuking them and saying, hey, you guys are just feeding off of milk when you should be eating solid food. Well, what is milk? Milk is something that's been processed through somebody else. Milk is what I'm giving you this morning. I ate the meat of the word, I processed it through, and then I'm sharing it with you guys. Milk is good. It's not bad, but we're supposed to eat solid food ourselves. What we consume, that's what we have to give others. My daughter Zoe is highly allergic to dairy and wheat. Messes her up if she has, especially the wheat. But when when Stacy was nursing her, Zoe had all these stomach issues and just a really rough go of it the first two months. And we talked to our midwife, and she said, uh, try going off of these foods. And she went off of wheat and dairy, and Zoe was way better. Because what happened is what we consume, that's what we give out. If we spend all our time meditating on offenses, if we spend all our time meditating on Instagram, if we spend all of our time in front of TV screens versus the word of God, what we're, what we're going to have to give out to other people is just what we've consumed. So here's the amazing thing. You can start right where you're at. There's only two places that the Bible talks about. It talks about under the sun and over the sun. It talks about our life here on earth, and it talks about how we're seated in heavenly places. Today, if you've never let God speak to you, if you've never, if you have not had a devotional of yourself, you can start today. And God will meet you where you're at. You might say, well, I am totally screwed up. Well, it says, while we were dead in our trespasses, you can't get any more hopeless than dead. Wherever you're at, God will meet you. 
But it takes getting in his word. As we do that, that's what will help us set our minds on the things above. We'll not fall for the meaningless life of just living life under the sun. God's word, when used correctly, raises our sights above our circumstances and invites us into the story of God. If you haven't started reading your Bible before, a great place to start is the book of John. Pastor Mitch talked about that, too. Luke is another one, and, or the book of James. Those are great places to start and just sit down. And here's the thing. If, if you're like, hey, I, I only have 10 minutes. If you haven't done it, take 10 minutes. Start with 10 minutes. Read your Bible for five minutes. Read your Bible for five of those minutes, and then for five minutes, sit quietly, chewing the cud, asking the questions, repeating it in your own words, and going, God, what are you speaking to me? And when you do that, God's going to speak to you, and it's, um, it's amazing. That's where we get the inspirational quotes that are inspirational. And that's why Solomon spoke so much against life under the sun, because he, he lived both. And he knew that life above the sun, being a part of God's story, was the greater. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for everybody that's here. Thank you for your word, that your word transforms us, it changes us. I pray uh, that, that you would transform us today. I pray for anyone that's in a battle right now. I pray that they would be able to come to you in the midst of their battles and, and you would raise them higher. Thank you, Lord, that everybody here was created with a purpose. And that purpose is to be a part of your story. Pray you would show each person here how they can walk that out. Pray all this in your mighty name. Amen.